next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus, when the, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, "Look, the Lamb of God." The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, "What are you looking for?" They said to him, "Rabbi, where are you staying?" Come and you'll see," he said. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon's brother, uh, Simon Peter's brother, and two of uh, one of the two who heard John and, uh, and followed him. His first, he first found his own brothers Simon and told him, "We have found the Messiah," which is translated the Christ. Thanks, Ian. Great, so we're going to dive in to a continuing series, Encounters with Jesus, that we've started last uh, time we were together. And um, just as I've been saying, I really believe that it's an invitation from God, not just to encounter him as Sunday as we dive into scripture, but actually encounter him at each moment of every day. So let me just pray. Father, I thank you that we have your word, that Lord, you have spoken and we can gather around it and seek to understand you and, and encounter you in this moment. So Lord, I pray by your spirit, we're just present in this space. Let you do what only your spirit can do, can do, which is meet each one of us right where we're at. Whether we believe, whether we first time here, whether we don't even know who this Jesus is, Lord, I thank you that you desire us. And in this moment, will you just meet with us for your glory? Amen. Amen. So we um, bought a lemon tree a few years ago. In fact, we bought two lemon trees. And um, they were these kind of, if you've ever bought a lemon tree or a tree or plant online, I discovered they're called bare root trees. So you get this tree and it's just bare root, quite self-explanatory. And it says in the instructions, get it into soil and water as quickly as possible. So then you can look after these, these trees. So we bought two lemon trees. We were going to put them either side of our patio to give us this illusion of being in the Mediterranean while we sit in the freezing cold summer of Britain. We've got an olive tree as well to really set the scene of this Mediterranean feel on our patio. And, and they look great. We've got these nice little pots for them, put them either side. And it looked fantastic for a couple of weeks. And then they started to look, I mean, I'm not a botanist, but they started to look sick. That's the only word I can describe. The leaves started to curl up. They started to even drop off. And on one of them, the branches started to become brittle and snap and go brown. And so we lost one of the trees, but we put everything we could into making sure this other tree wouldn't die. And so we pruned it right back and blagged that we knew what we were doing, thinking if we stop it from trying to grow, that at least all the energy can go into the strength of making this tree survive. And we fed it and we watered it. And over about two years, we managed to get it back to how it looked when we first got it. Never a rush job with gardening, is it? It always takes time. Um, and so um, this winter, we brought it in like we do every winter because, bless them, they don't like the cold, so we bring it in to so keep it warm. And we normally keep it in the utility room, but this year, we put it somewhere different. And we put it, we've got some patio doors by our back door, and, and we put it there, south-facing garden, so it gets the sun when the sun's out. And what we then did at the start of Christmas is we put some baubles on this tree just to try and make it look festive. Well, we came to take the baubles off a couple of weeks ago, and we're, um, this tree has just sprouted. There's the tree. And the leaves, I, I mean, that's my hand. The leaves are now the size of my hand. This tree has just gone crazy from where it was, which, I mean, you can't even begin to see this, the, the smallness of the little bits, all the big bits that are coming off it. It was where it's grown literally since we brought it in to a couple of weeks ago. It's amazing, isn't it? When you put something in the right environment, it suddenly starts to not just survive, but thrive. 
it suddenly starts to grow. See, there's some environments that bring life and there's others that bring death. I wonder what environment you find yourself in today. One that brings life or one that's sapping life. One that brings thriving and a fullness or one that's sapping life and bringing death. Here in John chapter 1, we see this encounter, and we're going to fly through it, because we're going to take communion this morning, just as I bring things to a close, but we're going to fly through uh, this encounter that these two men have with Jesus. Two men. We know one is called Andrew, the other one is unnamed. My best guess, this is John, John who wrote the gospel. My guess is that because throughout the whole of John's gospel, he never names himself. The best we get is it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so my best guess is this is John, and both of these men are following their disciples of John the Baptist. Now there's another John. Apologies, it is a name that is common. Uh, so anyone, anyone called John in here other than me? Don't know anyone else called John, but we've got three Johns in this story. So I'm going to call John the Baptist JB, just so we don't get confused. And then we've got John, who's the disciple. So Andrew and John have been following JB. Now John the Baptist, JB, he is this crazy guy who's living in the wilderness, living off locust and honey and wearing bizarre clothes, and they are his followers. Now, to be somebody's follower in that day meant that you orientated your life around that person. Your whole life was orientated around that person. When they ate, you ate. When they slept, you slept. You walked where they walked. You followed them. And you sought to live a life that was like theirs. And in this moment, what we see is JB sees Jesus walking past. And he says, there's the Lamb of God really significant thing for Andrew and John to hear because they're Jewish. And so they hear lamb of God and to a Jewish ear that is really significant because lambs are used for the sacrifice, for atoning of sin. In fact, if you go back in verse 29 of John chapter 1, JB has seen Jesus and he says, there's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so what happens is Andrew and John in this moment, they stop following JB and they start following, the scripture tells us, it says they followed Jesus. They start following him significant. They start orientating their life around him. And you might think, well, John the Baptist must feel a bit left out in this moment. But actually his whole life has been to point towards the one that would come that is the fullness of God in human flesh, the savior of the world. And so he's doing this in the moment. And he's saying, this is what my life points towards. Go and follow this man. And so they start to follow him. See, John and Andrew were followers. They're not just fans. They're not just stood off at the distance and going, oh, wow, we're following you, JB, but that guy's amazing. Wow. They start to follow him. See, there's a difference between a follower and a fan, isn't there? A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. A fan is someone who, I mean, have you ever seen the footage of like the Beatles landing in America and the, you know, the, the crowd are screaming and fainting? You know, that's fans. They are enthusiastic admirers. You may even go to a concert and it's like, Taylor Swift, will you marry me? It's like you don't even know her, but you're asking her to marry you. These people that are passionate, enthusiastic about those which they're fans of. These guys are not fans. They're followers. Because you see, the issue with a fan is they don't actually know the person that they admire. They know the public presentation of them, but they don't know them. They know information about them, but they don't have intimacy with them. And the invitation to follow is one of intimacy in this culture that we're looking at this morning allowing that person that you follow to transform your life. And so in verse 38, we see that they start to follow Jesus. And then we get what feels like a bit of an awkward moment where Jesus, it says, turned around and noticed them following him. I mean, it's like, whoa, what are you guys doing? And he questions them. And he says to them, what 
do you want? What are you looking for? What is it that you're actually after? And they respond, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They're not just admiring from a distance, they're seeking to follow him. And he asks the question. Jesus was a genius at asking questions. In a quick study uh, of uh, the NIV version, I think Jesus asked 339 questions. He answers three. There's a model for discipleship for us. Asks questions, and he asks these, these two men, what are you looking for? It's a question about desire, isn't it? What do you want? What are you desiring? Deep down inside, what is it that you actually want? You're sat here in church this morning. What are you looking for? You might call yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you don't. What is it that you desire? I imagine there's so many answers to that question, even in this room alone. If you move forward into John chapter 6, we see that these people have uh, have been gathering and and Jesus feeds them through the disciples. 5,000 families get fed and then uh, Jesus and the disciples leave and the people are hanging around trying to find Jesus and they find him the next day and he says to them, he answers them this question as he says, uh, Jesus answered in verse 26, truly I tell you, you're looking for me. I know what you desire. I know what you want. But not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're looking for me. You're looking for what you can get from me. How easy it is to shift. We start following Jesus, but instead of following him, we ask him to follow us. How easy that shift takes place. I'm going to give my life to you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. Now, can you follow me? Can you just make life really comfortable and great for me? I've got all these plans, right? And I just need you to bless them. So if you can follow me, that'd be great. They were coming just for what they could get from him. They'd had their fill. They wanted more. But Jesus, in this moment with these two disciples, he hears their heart, their desire. Where are you staying? Where are you staying? I don't think they realized the depth of the question they were asking. I don't think they understood actually what they were asking in that moment, that their desire was being exposed. We want to know where you're staying. They didn't want to just know his interior decoration. They didn't want to know his address so they could just ring on his doorbell at some point and say, hi, we just need a little bit of help if you don't mind. The desire of their heart, Jesus bless. Jesus is so gracious with how we approach him because we can approach him not fully understanding the desire that we have. We come for him for something. We just, God, we need a touch for this. We need healing. We need whatever it is. We come with a desire. And he says, but I know the deeper desire. So they come and say, show us where you're staying. And Jesus then says, what does he say? He says, come and stay with me. Jesus meets the desire but he knows the deeper desire, not just come and see, but come and stay. And they stay with Jesus. They stay with Jesus. That word in John's gospel, stay, is so significant. It's used throughout this this story of Jesus that John is writing. It means abide, remain. The literal meaning of it is to make your home where he has made his home. He invites them to stay, to be with him. It's the invitation of encounter. Come and hang out with me. Come and be with me. Come and make your home where I'm making my home. And this is the deepest desire of the human heart. The deepest desire. Isaiah 26 verse 8 says that the desire of our hearts is him. He's the desire of our hearts. And Jesus knows what these two men desire most. We want to come and find out where you're staying. And he says, come and stay with me. Come and be with me because I am the desire of that which you're looking for. And humanity will look absolutely everywhere else 
in everything else to try and satisfy the desire that is only Jesus is to fill. And he says, come and stay with me. In this moment, they hear Jesus' voice and they respond. They respond to his voice and they go and stay with him. And what does it say? That Andrew and John stayed with him that day. That day. That word just, that phrase just jumped out to me, that day. They put everything else aside and they stayed with him that day. What does that day look like for you? Not the day that you might have heard Jesus and responded, but what does just that day, like, what were you doing that day? What were you doing on that day? What does a normal day look like for you? What does that day look like? Those moments where we wake up, we eat, we work, we have a bit of stress, there's family, there's exercise, there's eating, there's chores, there's TV, things go well, things go badly, there's a whole uh, plethora of activities, all kinds of emotions and wants and needs. That day, each and every day that we live, Jesus' invitation is to be with him that day. Not just in a holy moment, as much as I'm an advocate for extended periods of times with Jesus, the invitation is that day. Each moment, make your home with me. Come and stay with me that day. When, you, when you're stressed out of your mind, the invitation is, you can be at home with me. You can stay with me. You can be with me. When we step into the busy commuter, non-stop work mode, we can be with him. When we open up our emails, the invitation is to stay at home with him. When we're getting the kids ready for school and it feels like the stress is mounting when we're trying to get the food shopping done, the invitation is to try and learn to live in two places at once. That we can be at work and we can be at home with Jesus. We can be at home and we can be at home with Jesus. We can be doing anything and we can be at home with Jesus. That's the invitation to be with him. So often as the church, we've emphasized and we hear this phrase, don't we? Do you know Jesus? I get what we're saying. But I wonder if subtly we emphasize knowledge about Jesus. Do you know him? Now, I'm not knocking knowledge about Jesus. It comes. We'll get there in a minute. But we can emphasize knowing Jesus. You know, for the, the, that's only really been the last couple of hundred years. For the first 1,700 years or so of church history, the emphasis wasn't, do you know Jesus? It was, do you know how to be with Jesus? Have you learned? How, you just become a follower of Jesus. Let's teach you how to be with him. Let's just sit together and learn what it means to be with him. Let's figure this out together. See, so often we can, we can emphasize knowing Jesus. Fans can know who they follow, who they're fanatical about. They know where they were born. They know how they live. They know their passions. They know all there is to know about it. But they're a fan, not a follower. There's information, not intimacy. If we're not careful, we can end up living satisfied, receiving information about God rather than living in the full knowledge that you've been received by God. That's the invitation. Just look at the journey of these two men. They come and they, they see Jesus and they say, Rabbi, show us where you're staying. Jesus doesn't go, right, okay, guys, before I show you, before we do anything else, we need to correct this theology because you just called me Rabbi. Now, you need to know something. I'm more than a Rabbi. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm God. So let's get that sorted first before we get anywhere further on this journey. No. Jesus says, come and show me, come and let me show you where I'm staying. Come and be with me. Be with me. And then what do we see by verse 41? We see Andrew runs off, finds his brother, Simon. And what does he say to him? We have found the Messiah. Having been with Jesus, having found him and encountered him, suddenly we start to see that the information becomes correct and known because we've spent time with him, we've encountered him, we've experienced him. That's the invitation of Jesus. 
As we journey on in our discipleship, we so often emphasize starting with the point of knowing and understanding when actually Jesus starts with the point of saying, do you want to come and be with me? Come and be with me. Learn how to be with me. If we want to know Jesus and invite others to know Jesus, we need to firstly be with him, encounter him, invite and teach others how to be with him. So how? Ten minutes. I'm going to finish in ten minutes and we're going to take communion. Ten minutes. How? How do we learn to be with Jesus? Because unless we drop everything, quit our jobs and form a monastery, which sounds quite appealing sometimes, how on earth can we live with Jesus all the time? Well, back to my lemon tree. That tree that nearly died on us. But instead, creating the right environment, that tree is now thriving and growing stronger and stronger. John 15, Jesus speaks into an environment And he uses exactly the same language that we read in John chapter 1. It's that same word, abiding. The Greek word meno for those that like Greek. But it just means to abide, to make your home with. And he says this in verse 4. Let me read it to you. Remain in me. There it is. Remain in me. And I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Don't get those the wrong way around. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Literal translation of that, you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. Got no use, no purpose. They gather them up and throw them into the fire. What else can you do with them? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus didn't say it's difficult to live this life outside of him. He says it's impossible. Without him, you can do absolutely nothing. Jesus is making such an emphasis. Ten times in eight verses, he uses that word, remain, meno, abide. We can get so hung up on one verse that Paul writes about in one of his letters in the New Testament that it splits the church, and we forget the fact that Jesus in eight, in, in eight verses says something ten times. I think I see where the weight of uh, emphasis is in Jesus' life abide, be with me, come and spend time with me. Not defaulting to knowing about him or doing for him, but being with him and learning how to weave that into our everyday life. Okay, John, we've got it. We need to be with Jesus. Got the message, great. Where is he? If you haven't noticed, Andrew and John, they got him with him. He's there physically, lips, hips, fingertips, Jesus right there, but he's not here with us. Well, John 15 is written out of the context of John 14, where Jesus is saying to his disciples, there's going to be a time when I'm not with you, when I'm not going to be physically around. And what does he say? In verse 16 of John 14, he says, I will ask the Father who will give you another counsellor. Now that word another counsellor there, that, that language I was reading this week is really hard to translate because Jesus is actually saying, I'm going to give you another one of me. Another one who is like me is kind of language, but really another, he's talking about the Trinity. He's saying this isn't just a secondhand, like I've got to go so you get like, you know, the secondhand one of me. No, 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 this is the third person of the Trinity you're going to get who he calls in this moment the spirit of truth. Later on, he'll call it the Holy Spirit. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't see him or know him, but you know him and here's the language because he remains in you and you will be in him. Menno, abide, being with him. The invitation is as God makes his home in us, as we surrender our life to him, the promised Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, that he comes and makes his home in us, and we get to make our home in him. 
So no matter where you go, you're home. No matter what you go through, you're home. That's the invitation to be with Jesus. Let me sum up what I'm saying in a single sentence. Our primary goal as followers of Jesus that are in the room today is learning to live in constant connection with the Spirit. Every minute of every day. No matter what we're going through. Look, maybe you want a more peaceful life. God, I come, my desire is more peace. God, I need more peace. Or maybe it's joy. I'm just miserable, God. I'm coming to you with this desire. God says, I see that desire and I'll raise it. Because actually the deeper desire is me. And so look, in Galatians 5, 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the one who comes and dwells in us, the Spirit that God has given us, read them out with me, they should be on the screen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, read them out, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine, the law is not against such things. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus would use the language of come and abide, come and make your home, come and be with me. Too many people read this and think, right, to be a Christian, just got to be more loving. Just got to be more joyful. Patience, that's what I got to be. And you know what? Willpower will get you so far. Willpower will get you so far. I've got some friends who are addicts, former addicts. They say, willpower got me far. Tell me. But it only gets you so far. Willpower has its limits. Willpower can only take you so far. But actually, the fruit of the Spirit, I would say there's only one commandment in this verse. Firstly, it's said in verse 16, which we didn't read, but it's repeated here in verse 25. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's the only command in these verses. Not commanded to bear fruit, but commanded to keep in step with the Spirit. This is why I am planning on spending more time with Jesus in 2022 than I ever have done before. More time. More time in his presence. More time being with him. I'm not just going to pray because it's what we should do. I'm going to pray because that's how we get to spend time with him. I'm not going to sit in silence on my own in solitude with him just because it's really good and holy to be still and know that he's God. I'm going to do it because actually the one that I follow, he did that in order to be with the Father. Took time out by himself, just him and the Father, just to rest in his presence. Not receive information, but just rest in his presence. So I'm following Jesus. Jesus, let my life start to reflect something of the one that I follow and how you encountered the Father, how you were with the Father is how I'm going to be with you. We get to be with Jesus. I wonder what captures your thoughts in the quiet moments of your life. I wonder if we could orientate those thoughts to being with God. I've been on a journey in the last three, four years learning to abide in Jesus. And there have been moments, let me tell you, where I've been sat in silence, just saying, God, I want to rest in you. I wanted a scream because it's infuriating. Because you want something fresh from God. You want some new revelation. You want something good just to go, thank you. You want to feel something. And actually, it's just being with him. And for me, the hardest thing is switching my brain off. But actually, he comes. And when we press into his presence, his promise is that he's there. Spending time with him being in step with him because I'm not a fan, I'm a follower. And I refuse to end my days going, well done, you're a good fan. No, 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 I want to be a follower. How did Jesus spend time with the Father? In community. Didn't do it alone. He called 
he, well, he had a, a, bigger, a bigger follower of disciples and then he had 12 that he called and then three that he called even closer. He rested. I love the amount of times Jesus was sleeping while other stuff was going on. Oh, that kind of leader that I'd like to be. Oh, hell's breaking. I'm just going to have a little nap. Just going to crash out here and just have a little sleep. It's fine. God's good. But there's something in the life of Jesus that's modeled. Over the last few years, I have had the privilege of being able to spend a day, a month or so in a monastery. And um, I've learned something from those monks. They know how to pray, let me tell you. They can pray. But one thing I've noticed is that um, this bell rings throughout the day and whatever it is they're doing, they put it down and they go and pray. They stop and they pray. I was just like, man, can you imagine living like that? It's like not a problem in the world. So this bell rings. But what I learned from them is this. The realization that I had was they spend their days and instead of their prayer being interrupted by their day, their day is interrupted by their prayer. But they still got stuff to do. They got stacks of stuff to do. Care for the people that are coming in. They've got, a, they've got a whole plot of land that they keep. Preparing food, doing all this other stuff. The bell rings, they stop immediately and they go and pray. And their day is interrupted by prayer. I wonder what that could look like. And I was just reflecting, going, abiding with Jesus, being with him. I wonder what it looked like if my day got interrupted by prayer rather than me rushing around like a headless chicken going, God, I tried to pray and it's just gone manic. What does that start to look like? And so I started to use things like technology. And so I have a reminder that comes up on my phone at midday. Sometimes I stop for a, a minute. Sometimes I'm able to stop for 10 minutes. Sometimes it's like I'm with someone. I'm just like 20 minutes past midday when the conversation finishes. I'm just going to go to the toilet and I get a couple of minutes just and I find a space just to be quiet with him and just to orientate and say, God, will you interrupt my day and cause me to think on you, dwell on you, be with you? Because that's the invitation. Because I don't know about you, but I can race through my days and if I'm not intentional, I can just forget. And actually, even when I'm intentional, sometimes life takes over. And what I've learned in those moments is an invitation to receive his grace. Because in those moments where I go, God, at the end of the day, this was just a manic day. I'm not sure I even thought about you once. And Jesus is reminding me in that moment, I was thinking about you. You might have struggled to make your home with me, but I've made my home with you. And I get to go, God, thank you. I receive your grace in this moment. Not condemnation, but a grace. Thank you, Jesus. This isn't about punishing us to be more like Jesus. An invitation to say, if we want the life that Jesus offers, John 10, 10, life in all its fullness. If we want the life that Jesus offers, maybe we need to seek to adopt the lifestyle that he lived. Start to weave it into our days. How do we do that? Maybe it's just stopping for 30 seconds when you're in the car before you go to work, before you turn on Zoom, just stopping. Saying, God, I'm just going to rest in the affirmation not receiving information about you, but knowing that I'm received by you in this moment. Just letting him be with you and you be with him. Doing it in community, doing it alongside others, not to achieve something, but to abide. As we encounter Jesus, the invitation is to be with him. Alan, when you come and play, we're going to take communion together. Opportunity in this moment right now, just to be with Jesus. But you know, it's not just about drinking deep from the well. For many of us, Sunday is that opportunity where we get to drink deep from the well. We spend an extended period of time and we worship together, we gather around his word. And for others, you have time throughout the week. Maybe it's a morning time for you or an evening where you just carve out a bit of time to be with him. Drink deep from the well. Jesus did it. Spent time alone with the Father, just him, drinking deep from the well. But what I've also learned is that we need to know how to drink from the sippy cup. 
You know, my kids, when they were growing up, had a little sippy cup. And they would drink from it all day. And we'd make sure, if you drank from your cup, you've got to make sure you're not, not dehydrated. Create an environment in which they could thrive. We need to find ways to drink from the sippy cup. To bring Jesus back to the center. To abide in him. To be with him. Let me finish with this. Richard Halverson, who was the former chaplain to the US Senate, he said this, Christianity began in Galilee as a fellowship of men and women centered on Jesus Christ. It went to Greece and it became a philosophy. It went to Rome and became an institution. It went to Europe and became a culture. It went to America and became an enterprise. We need to get back to our roots. Being with Jesus, lives centered on him, at home being with him, at work being with him, learning to live in two places at once. So how about you this week? What one thing could you do this week that would orientate your mind? Maybe it's somewhere that you you look at every single day. Something you can put there. Maybe it's your phone. I was shocked. I looked on my phone, it gives me statistics. One day I picked up my phone 240 times. 240 times in one day. Wow, did did I pick up Jesus that many times? Maybe we can use the technology to help us to orientate our mind towards him. Think of visible ways you can be reminded that God is with you and you are with him. For others, you may be nailing this better than I am. So how can you rest for extended periods of time in him? Because let me tell you, one thing I am, I am learning and have learned is John 15, 5 is true. Without him, you can do nothing. Whatever it is you're facing in life, whatever it is you're going through, wherever you are, without him, you can do nothing. And so I pray as we step into this week, we will encounter Jesus who not only wants to be us to be with him, but he wants to be with us. That the desire of his heart is to be with us. May we listen to the voice of Jesus inviting us to make our home with him. May he grace us to stay with him in the middle of the mystery and the mess, the quiet and the chaos, in the knowing and the not knowing, increasingly receiving his abiding presence that promises never to leave nor forsake. The invitation is to make our home with him. Guys, we're going to come.